welcome to Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Uh, today, we have an awesome author chat with none other than Logan Steiner. That is how you say your last name, right? It is. Yes. Um, I, Logan Steiner, author of After Anne, which is a, a story about Lucy Maud Montgomery, the author of Anne of Green Gables. Um, hi, Logan. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's such a treat to be here. We are so excited to have you. Um, I haven't completely finished your book, but I have 20 pages left. I was like, maybe I can get oh it done over coffee this morning. <laughs> and I did it. I was like, oh, no. Um, but it has been, I, I did not realize how, um, not crazy, but just how hard it, it but like there's so yes. many ups and downs in Lucy Maud Montgomery's life um it's been really really great to read oh I'm so glad to hear that I know for some I mean there's so many of us uh Ella Montgomery fans out there mm-hmm. and huge Anna Green Gables fans and I think you know the story of of the person behind that story, I think, is just so fascinating. It has added so much depth to my own you know, reading of Ellen Montgomery's work. But like you said, so many, so many ups and downs. And yeah, I think so many lives have. And uh, you know, often we only hear about like the the headline or the success. You know, this mm-hmm. this best selling, world renowned author. Um, but I think it can be so interesting to learn more um, mm-hmm. about the person behind the book. Well, that being said, would you mind giving us a small synopsis of After Anne and a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Logan. I um, am a practicing lawyer and a writer, uh, and I have an almost two-year-old. Um, I think those are those are the main facts about me. I, I live in Denver with my husband and daughter, um, and After Anne is a novel uh, based on the life of Ellen Montgomery, who wrote Anne of Green Gables, is is far and away her best-known book, but she was a prolific writer. She wrote 19 other novels in her life and many short stories and poems. And even though her first name is Lucy, she went by Maud, so I'll, I'll refer to her as Maud. Um, and really, the book is focused on this question of what happens after the dream, um, which I think is just such an interesting one. So in Maud's case, what happens after this kind of beyond your wildest belief dream of the huge success of Anne of Green Gables, especially coming from, you know, a woman at the time writing, you know, it was 1908 when it was published in rural Canada, um, to have it be this international bestseller and to be launched into, you know, huge fame in Canada and throughout the world. Um, I'm, I was really interested in that question of what came after, what came after Anne. Um, as well as just the creative life. And so the novel touches on um, a lot of, you know, ideas that I think are common to a creative life, but this question of the public-private self, that it's really um, possible to be so well-known and beloved as Maude was, and also so unknown at the same time. Um, I think it's something that a lot of us face with kind of social media now, and there's more of a public presence that so many of us have. Um, and then also this question of who are you creating for? And, you know, Maude felt this real obligation to the readership. That's something that the novel explores. Are you writing for yourself or writing for the reader? 
And then this question of balancing motherhood and creative work, which is something I'm so interested in, particularly now with my daughter. But, you know, do you fully focus and prioritize career and writing, which I think at the time was an even more unusual consideration than today, or try to balance that with marriage and motherhood? So those are some of the the big things the book focuses on. Yeah, yeah. And it does it. In such a cool way, because you have so many, like, there are sections that are completely italicized, and then there are sections that, like, pull from the, or, like, her journals, but also are are put into the narrative. Um, have you read all of Maud's journals? I have, yes. Cover to cover. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. There's how, there's how many of them? There are many volumes of her selected journals and then there are volumes of her complete journals. So they were published in kind of selective form Mm -hmm. first and then in complete form. And they are voluminous books um, and such fascinating reads. I mean, I really think, you know, she's got such a gift with narrative, obviously, but they they really, um, that gift comes through in her journals. They're not sort of Mm -hmm. day-to-day jottings down of what was happening in her life. They're really reflective. She would take months at a time and summarize, and they're just interesting reads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you decide what to include in After Anne, like after reading all of her, her novels? or all of her novels, all of her journals, everything. Like how did yes. you, how did you decide? There was so much. And I think, you know, I was interested in that question of what comes after the dream, but I was, I was also really, I got fascinated by this sort of mystery that uh, her biographer, Mary Henley Rubio um, points out in, in her comprehensive biography of Mud that, um, you know, there was this note by her bed when she died that appears to have been kind of a suicide note, but it it had a page number and seems to have been part of kind of a missing set of of journal entries from her last few years of life. And those last few years of life are missing from her journals. And she, you know, this isn't giving too much away because it's right in the prologue, but she, you know, her life ends tragically in suicide. And um, I was so interested in sort of this mystery around what was in those last few years of life. Um, why didn't she, did she purposefully not want it to be part of the record? Did something happen to those notes that, you know, was was outside of her control? And so mm-hmm. I was really fascinated by that gap. Um, and I set out to explore that question of kind of how did she get to this end um, by telling what I thought from reviewing everything was were the most crucial parts of her life that led her there. So right now I'm at the point where she has started using Ewan's barbiturates every now and then. Yes. And so it's it's one of those. It's also like maybe she just didn't have the capacity to write mm-hmm. for the last few years if she had been under the influence of those. Because um, even Absolutely. just like yeah, even just showing off like the how it affected Ewan. Um, yes. That was that's so it's so rough. It's oh man. I know. And high doses, I mean, those barbiturates and bromides were really prescribed a lot back then. There's so many echoes to our modern day kind of mm-hmm. opioid crisis, but without a lot of knowledge around their addictive properties, the side effects, and that they really were toxic in large doses. Um, mm-hmm. And that was certainly a, a pretty tragic feature, kind of that later part yeah. of Maude and her husband's life. Definitely. As you were writing, though, 
were there any characters or people that surprised you the most like as you were putting it all together yes um so Maud, i feel like just kept me on uh, my toes the whole time she was just such a complex fascinating woman and one that took many many drafts to sort of really unpack and and get right to the best of my mm-hmm. ability but i think ewan uh Maud's husband was probably the most surprising i have as probably many other women could share. I'm I'm really triggered by deeply insecure men and particularly men that are sort of uh, threatened by women's success and sort of had, you know, he had very much the sense of kind of traditional gender uh, norms. And in the first draft, he was so unlikable. And I really had to dig deep in my, within myself to um, to figure out what's figure about out, right and make him more of a full character and I still don't yeah. think that he's fully likable but I I think I developed more empathy and rounded him out in the draft and that was some good good internal work that it took yeah there. <laughs> yeah I I do have to say in one of the birthday weekend chapters when he is like what's what's your lifelong dream and uh he was like, oh, to be married to you. And then right. obviously Maud is just like, I can't tell him that it's writing. He will get so upset like that it's not yes. him. And then like I could feel the awkwardness of her just being oh. like, this isn't the real answer, but I'm going to tell him that it is him. Right. Um, right. I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like to, to sure. even yes. start a relationship on that sor- sort of uneven level is yes rough but i mean also for the time i guess it was a it was more acceptable i guess i think you know i do think that there was such pressure on marriage and there was such mm-hmm. pressure to not become a spinster you know on her and yeah you know and then there were norms around divorce where there were basically no divorces in canada at mm-hmm. this time and so and i do think that there was just a lot more of this sort of settling or good enough or that kind of thing that happened. And by the time that Maude and you in marriage, she was in her 30s. She was old, you know, older mm-hmm. than um, a lot of women would have at the time. And I just think that imagining what that pressure would have felt like, um, it was something that was just really interesting, made me so grateful for our current time. But but yes, that, I mean, I think probably all of us, many of us know a man like that where like their adoration is almost like so much um and their focus on you know that you you think that that may be romantic but it's really not at all and it kind of turns your stomach and yeah yeah like I really wanted to like you and because he's like a very he's a gentleman he's a nice mm-hmm. person but then it's just right. like oh but he only expects her to do everything on his whim and I was like well that's not really how Maude is that's not that's not her character um and then Edwin Edwin Captain Edwin was introduced I was like oh okay this is the type of person that that she should be with I got so upset at Edwin when they went and visited uh his house Yes, yeah. That was I'm so, so glad hard. you're here because that I mean that was just like that heartache for me. Yeah, um, you know, she's finally found this sort of peer and potential match. And I think it's just so true to the time that, you know, 
for both of them to give themselves permission to go further in that relationship would have been such a rare thing, you know, and that relationship with Edwin is one where we know he really didn't put a lot about it in her journal, Mm -hmm. just that he visited a few times, but we do know that he was in her life, making regular visits, substituting for you and her husband and Mm -hmm. preaching when he's, his health wouldn't allow it. And that he had a real, you know, Maude writes some very carefully selected admiring Mm -hmm. words about him. And then we know that she gave him her typewriter where she originally typed Anne at some point. So a really significant gift. And I do think that there's, and she always, you know, really admired the fact that he was this public speaker. So that was the place where, again, the historical record allowed me to imagine into that reality with, you know, grounding in the facts we know. But I... I love to imagine that possibility for Maude and just to think about how it could be different at a, in a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was just heartbreaking because it was, it was like, well, if you were going to choose to not act on it anyway, then maybe you should have not opened up the possibility in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's when? such a good match. It's such a good match. Right. I was like, right. I don't agree that they should have affairs on like have an affair but I think they would have made great friends like Mm -hmm. they were great friends and they would have just even if they worked through that awkwardness of like being slightly attracted to each other I think it could have it could have been great yes for the rest of her life Uh, I know and there's that you just see how public opinion and gossip and you know those things they're present throughout all of human Mm -hmm. time but I think in small towns and that time in particular you know the pressure to just not be the subject of gossip or to have any you know bad rumors and especially being the public figure that Maude was um, Mm -hmm. that was just so immense so yeah Uh, well um on that note do you have a favorite line or section of after Anne you'd like to share Yes, I would love to read. So this is uh, when Maude is first writing Anne of Green Gables and uh, one of my favorite scenes from the book. So it starts, and and this is, I should say, pretty early on in the book um, after she's sort of just gotten inspiration to start writing. Opening the notebook sitting under her palms, Maude removed a photograph tucked underneath, propping it up in front of her. It had been taken a few years earlier at the Cavendish Beach not far away. She and a friend managed to get their hands on a camera, the newfangled device her grandmother had scoffed at. They designed their own bathing costumes out of leftover scraps of fabric and made off to the beach one morning in a fit of laughter, talking about the ways they might pose and the potential suitors to whom they might show the photos. The day had continued in laughter until it had come time to take the photo sitting in Maud's hands. For the minute or so when the picture was being taken, Maude remembered feeling not at all different from the rock where she sat, or the sea that stretched out in front of her. Molecules on top of molecules, looking out at more molecules. She had learned as much in school and never quite believed it, but in that moment she did. And then in the next breath, Maude had been overcome by a feeling that was nearly the opposite, her potential to become someone important. It was a deep private feeling composed less of pride than of intuition. This confidence had been followed by thankfulness, a deeper thankfulness than she could remember feeling for being different than the rock or the sea. To be alive in an interesting world and to tell about it, that was something. 
Ever since the photo was taken, she had pulled it out whenever she started a writing project. A glance could bring back those two feelings in quick succession. The ease and relief that came each time she appreciated the vastness of the natural world and the glorious insignificance of any possible thing she could do with her life, followed immediately by the glorious significance of her own conviction. Chapter one, she wrote in a large scrawl on the first page of one of the notebooks. Mad clap, Maud clapped her hands against her thighs. Let the experiment begin. She skimmed the other notebook containing her spade work, character sketches and plot lines she had developed so far. The girl would come from an orphan asylum, not a place so hard for her liveliness to be unbelievable, but colorless. Two trees and whitewashed cages sitting on either side of the front entrance. Anne would be sitting at a train station, waiting, thinking about climbing a wild cherry tree. Maud thought of how Anne would describe that tree, dressing it up with adjectives. How quiet and old Matthew would respond to seeing a girl with red braids instead of the orphan boy he had expected to help with his farm. But how to begin? Not with the cherry tree. The story wasn't only the girl after the all. After all, it was also the story of a small island town on the outskirts of a lesser known country, deeply tied to its Scottish roots, full of judgment and unexpected humor. It was also the story of a secluded house, nondescript mostly, with one exception the forest green paint on its gables. Maud had a picture of this house in mind early on, drawing inspiration from a house across the road where a shy old bachelor, Maud's great uncle, lived with his sister. Maud looked out the window for some action, something to start her pen moving. A few swaying tree branches, a swarm of bees emerging from a rose bush, nothing. Now, if she'd been looking out the window of a house situated close to the main road, instead of tucked away in the trees surrounding her grandmother's house, she would have been able to see anyone coming and going. She would have been the first to spot an unusual event. This felt like a beginning. A house situated at the dip in the main road, making for easy viewing of the neighbors. An afternoon early in June. Someone would sit near a window looking out. One who believes she already knew every possible thing there was to know about that town. And that's the start of Anne of Green Gables. That is. That is. Miss Rachel Lend, one of yeah. my favorites. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So if you got to meet a character from Anne of Green Gables, would it be Miss Rachel or who would you who would you absolutely want to meet? Oh, my goodness. Well, Mrs. Rachel, I mean, she would be a treat. Um, <laughs> and I know that this is so cliche, but I have to say Anne. I mean, Fair enough. It, was, it was Anne that was... The, the pull through those books for me when mm -hmm. I was younger and still when I reread them today. I mean, she's just, she's just a delight. And, yeah. you know, I've thought about what that's about so many times as I've been writing Maud's story and having Anne appear in Maud's head, which was such a treat when I was writing. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, Anne just has this unfiltered way about her. And I'm somebody, I think, a lot of us are that's just always so worried about what other people think and they have to coax myself often to speak my mind you know I was a pretty quiet um youngster and and just so worried about judgment and mm -hmm. reading Anne's character back then just gave me this permission to say it to say it right out and to have these big dreams and to not be afraid of chasing them and yeah. I just think that having a little dose of that in my life. Um, it would be such a treat to meet her in person now. 
Absolutely. I loved that her voice was in Maude's head. Like she would just pop up every now and then. I thought it was, yes. it, it was so great. Um, because so like glad. you can definitely see the contrast between Maude being brought up so proper um, yes. and Anne being like, forget all of that. Let's do, right? let's do what you want to do. Um, and Maude like wanting to do that and it was influenced by it, which is so great. Yes. Yes. Such a part of Maude. And I think Maude's closest friend, Freed, had more of that unbridled expression Mm -hmm. about love being around her for it. Um, And, you know, there's so much of Anne. I think Anne was kind of sort of an alter ego ego that allowed Maude to write out so much of how she wanted to be. Absolutely. Um, So when you were doing research for After Anne, obviously... L.M. Montgomery's journals were probably a key in in your research. Um, but where else did you look for for things? I mean, there's so much yes. out there. How did you decide when you were done researching and just ready to to go? Um, yeah, so much out there, and you know, I think um, I started. I wanted because I knew I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to get as close inside to Maude's head as I could. And so the place to begin were her journals. And it was such a a gift to have those journals. You know, I think a lot of authors who write biographical fiction, there's just not such a voluminous account of mm-hmm. that author's own voice and thinking. And so that was really what I started with and came back to so many times to really tap into as well as I could Maude's way of thinking. And then I sort of worked my way out. So I went from the journals to her biography, which is just this richly detailed account. Um, and then back to Maud's fiction um, and her creations, which again is, is you know, close to inside her head, but a little bit more external. And then from there, I went to kind of literary criticism articles and took out just the excerpt. So I think what really helped me was to have a working outline, you know, kind of from the get-go. So when I was going through her journals, I was taking note of what I was most drawn to, what I was most interested in. And then as I was going through these other sources, I could be selected about what pieces I wanted to focus on. Because um, mm-hmm. otherwise, there's so much, it would have been easy to get lost in the research. Seriously. I mean, that's why I was wondering, like, how did you know when you were like, okay, this is this is enough? Um, yes. because there's so much. It was a lot of, and then, you know, once I had that working outline and had gone through and taken my notes drafting, but then going back to confirm the details to fill in the gaps. So it was a lot of, you know, it was a very iterative process too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so throughout after Anne, Maud does editorialize her journals. Like she doesn't start with that, yes. but she, do- she does have the reader in mind, I think the whole time. But then she starts to like reread and take stuff out. Why do you think she was so keen to like get rid of parts of her life? Like, do you think it was um, kind of therapeutic for her or what? Yeah, I think, I mean, I just think it's such a fascinating thing. It kept me fascinated throughout this yeah. whole process of writing. I do. I think it's the same reason that we all curate our social media to a degree that anything Mm -hmm. that we put online now we all have you know more of an opportunity for this with online public presence but Mm -hmm. the same reason we edit our social media posts our profiles um and I think that's 
it's about public perception, right? And Maude became this public figure, so she was concerned about that, and she intended mm-hmm. these journals for publication. But I think it's also just that grasping for control of the narrative, um, yeah. given that, you know, there's so much in the world that's outside of our control. And I think for Maude in particular, she was just this consummate storyteller. And so for her, she had control over her fiction. And I think it was a way of giving her life that same sort of control and narrative arc that she had in the world created in her novels so that she could kind of pick and choose what she wanted to be in her ultimate yeah. life record. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, can you even imagine what she would be like with social media? She would probably no. have like a gorgeous profile on oh, Instagram. I'm <laughs> sure with would like be the so perfectly nice. worded quotes. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so for you, you are a lawyer and have a daughter and like you you had your daughter during the process of writing after Anne right I I was not yeah um so it was after writing but Mm -hmm. um before kind of the final edits I had my daughter so yeah what was that what is a day in the life when you were working on it because that sounds so chaotic (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, the biggest challenge I was working, you know, I, I, um, uh, practicing lawyer still and, and trying to balance the two. Mm-hmm. At the time that I wrote it, I was working as a litigator like 60 to 70 hours a week. And so I really wrote most of this book in 20 minute increments. Um, as crazy as that sounds, I, uh, did a lot of it. I just made this commitment to myself that I was going to do 20 minutes a day, no matter what the day, but I could always fit that in, even if it was a really busy work day. And so I'd do it often early in the morning or right before bed. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when I had longer stretches on the weekends and, um, you know, when work wasn't interfering with the weekends, I would do longer stretches. And often that 20 minutes, I would get so into it that I would, it would bleed over, but Mm -hmm. that was sort of my minimum daily commitment. And, and that's how a lot of it got done. Um, I was so grateful that my daughter was born and I still had that final because of how drawn out this process mm-hmm. was in, you know, writing and editing and uh, getting an agent, getting a publisher. I still had this opportunity to do a final edit with the publisher after my daughter was born. And I made some changes to the motherhood scenes that were really meaningful to me. I mm-hmm. had a hard time, especially feeling mods, what mod would have felt to her with her babies as, as youngsters until I mm-hmm. had my own daughter. Um, and so that was, and still, I'm just so, um, grateful that I had that chance. Yeah. Oh man. And I mean, did, okay. So did Maud, Maud did her journal recopying in like 15 minute increments daily. Is that something that you're like kind of putting toward your, what you were doing? Is that something that she did do? Or is that like a fun little ad, little nugget? So she, um, I think the 15 minute increments was a specific detail that I added. She definitely wrote, she did a lot in short spurts and Mm -hmm. she, and she was very, very disciplined about her days. So because she was a minister's wife, there was so much to fill her days and she was a mother of two. And so she would set these very kind of strict time Mm -hmm. goals for her writing in the mornings. And that is very much accurate. And I think 
she would fit her journal writing in where she could and later in life did it in these smaller doses. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, but I am very much, I think I could relate to Maude and sort of that applying the discipline of like Mm -hmm. the lawyer mind in me to keep myself on track. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so, that's great. Um, So I imagine Ellen Montgomery is the answer or one of the answers to this next question, but do you have any authors who really inspired your writing style or just have inspired you in general? Oh my gosh. I mean, um, there are so many, I think Maud is my main answer for this book. Um, mm-hmm. She's an author I have loved since I was young and it was really, I wanted to stay as true as I could to her. So it was immersing myself in her writing that sort of gave me the voice, that time and place, mm-hmm. the modes of expression. She was by far the biggest influence. Um, and, you know, I was an English major. There's so many authors that I've you know, bits and pieces of influence along the way, but Maude is by far the biggest. Um, Are you going to be doing any other books that are in a similar vein of like the author's life after a famous work? Oh my gosh, I would love to. I'm really this, you know, the creative life and what that means and what that involves is just, I think, kind of my main uh, fascination and something Mm -hmm. that I think I'll continue to explore um, whatever writing I keep doing going forward. And I think it's just, it's so motivating to me as somebody who's always had these creative dreams, but had so much doubt around it to read about and learn about other creative lives. So yes, Mm -hmm. I think the short answer, I definitely would like to do more biographical fiction like this, where I've been drawn to write more recently is around this question of uncertainty in motherhood. And I've been writing quite a bit about it. Um, I've been doing these sort of short formed pieces on Substack around the question of like, it's called the creative sort, how we decide when and what to create, and then mm-hmm. including creating, you know, a human and becoming a parent. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed that. And I'm still working out whether it's going to be a fiction or memoir that's exploring this uncertainty around motherhood question. It's something that I felt and and wrestled with for like 20 plus years myself. Yeah. And so I really feel like that's kind of the next thing I'm drawn to. That's so cool. Good uh, good luck with it. I mean, that sounds wonderful. We're coming. Thank you. Yeah, we're coming toward the end. This might be the hardest question, or it might not, based on <laughs> what we've been talking about the whole time. But uh, what is your all-time favorite book? So, yes, I think the obvious answer would be Anna Creek Gables. I love Anna Creek Gables. It will always be a favorite. Um, but the book that has moved me the most in life is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Um, it's, it's, for those who haven't read it, I highly recommend. I mean, it's it's an epistolary novel. So it's written in letter form from um, uh, kind of an older man. I don't want to give too much away, Mm -hmm. but it's really, really beautiful, intimate uh, writing that her writing is just pure poetry. And I dream of writing a single sentence like hers, you know, someday, but then it's just so much about the things that matter in life. So it's one of those books that I turn back to when I'm 
you know, feeling down or needing to be reminded of the good in life and what matters mm-hmm. and um, what's worth pursuing. And those are just like the more often I turn back to a book, the kind of higher it goes on my list. And that's when I turn back to a lot. I love that. Thank you. Um, do you have any final thoughts about After Anne or anything else? Just, uh, I think, you know, so much of my hope in, in writing about creative life is that people read it and are drawn to create themselves. And I think Maud's, you know, like you said, has so many ups and downs in her life, but her persistence in writing and like the refuge that writing was to her throughout her life is such a big piece of her story. And I really hope it inspires others to create as well as to just, you know, keep sharing yourself with others. Like, I think that that's just, it's a big lesson that I've learned in life about how important it is to keep sharing my deepest self with the people that are closest to me when times are really hard, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something I've taken away from Maud's story, both when she did that and it was so meaningful to her and when she couldn't bring herself to do that um, and what that meant in her life. You know, in terms of where uh, where you can find me, I um, kind of everything is on my website, logansteiner.com, um, links to my Substack and um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. So um, everything's there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Logan. Um, it has been a pleasure. It's been so wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Well, we heckin' did it, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, share it with your other bookish friends and family members. And if your podcast app has ratings, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I'm off to read the next book in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events for my monthly Patreon series, A Summary of Unfortunate Events, which is a middle-of-the-pool dive into the series we all know and love. And if you'd like to hear it, subscribe to our Patreon by following the link in the Novel Finds bio on Instagram, which you should totally be following if you're not already. Thanks again for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.